Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that's doing its best to keep up with all the latest technology. And today we're taking a look at how rapid advances in transport tech are changing the way designers and developers are thinking about where we live and how we organise our communities. I think it's about having the flexibility to adapt and I think we need to start having these conversations in order that transport modelling can start taking account of some of these changes. It might be that um, we just call cars up on our phones and they go off and park somewhere else. I'm Guy Ruddle and I'm joined by three Savills people who spend an inordinate amount of time looking into the future of real estate. Uh, Julia Mountford is an Associate Director in the planning team. She's got plenty of experience advising landowners and developers on residential-led development. I won't tell you exactly how many years. That would be rude. Hello, Julia. Hi, Guy. Good morning. Good morning to you. Toby Green is a director in the industry and logistics team. He is a specialist industrial property surveyor, amongst many other things. Toby, welcome to Real Estate Insights. Morning, Guy. And Andrew Raven is director of urban design. He's an architect, a planner and a designer and uh, much else besides. Andrew, welcome to you. Hi, great to talk to you, Guy. Good stuff. Well, let's get started. Um, Julia, can I come to you first? And let's start by sort of setting the scene. You know, I mentioned the rapid advances in transport tech are changing the way we're we're looking at things. When we talk about transport tech and changes, what what sorts of things are we talking about? So we're talking about driverless or autonomous vehicles. Um, For residential developments, this may mean moving away from rigid highway and parking standards. It provides potentially an opportunity to enable these concepts to contribute to delivering sustainable and beautiful places, which is something that's high up on the planning agenda at the moment. It also looks at uh, drones and contributing to last mile deliveries for logistics and in general potential new opportunities for development in areas potentially previously constrained through highway capacity or standards. Yeah, and of course, this is all happening at the same time as transport slightly changing anyway because of COVID and less commuting and you know cycle lanes and all that sort of stuff, right? Absolutely. Over the last year, we have already seen a lot of space given back to pedestrians and cyclists, and we've also seen a greater focus on people buying properties wanting more open space as well. So, Andrew, as an architect, planner, designer, advisor of all sorts of uh, people involved in development of of uh, residential-led schemes and the like. Does this get you excited or does it make you fearful? (laughs) No, it absolutely gets me excited. I mean, um, the the impact of cars on streets and on design um, is probably one of the worst things that's happened to um, the, the, the design environment over the last 20, 30 years. So when, when Julia says um, changes happening now could result in changes to rigid highways or parking standards, that is just music to my ears. That The less cars we have on streets parked or moving around, the better the streets look and the more kids can play out in them and the more adults interact with each other and create a sense of community. So that is all absolutely brilliant stuff. And, and why do you think we will end up with fewer cars on the streets? Well, there's been actually a slow move towards less car ownership anyway. So as you were, as you were mentioning previously, 
um, COVID has accelerated that because we're, we're living more locally and commuting less longer distances. But we've had car clubs growing up um, that, that have meant people are sharing transport when they're not using second cars for um, a lot of commuting. It looks like most people are going to work from home a little bit more. Um, but So that will mean less car miles being driven and less need for second cars potentially. Um, but also there's, there's as um, Julie was saying, potential for autonomous vehicles, um, driverless vehicles to come along. And that could create all kinds of different changes. I mean, we, we are looking at some schemes now that are 20 to 30 years in the future um, that, that might be 10,000 homes and won't be delivered in the next five to 10 years. Um, what's going to happen with cars then? It, it might be that um, we just call cars up on our phones and they go off and park somewhere else either at the edge of a town which has been tried a couple of times before in the 70s and and right now in Boban um, or, or or they they hide themselves away somewhere and we only yeah. call them when we need them so that could create massive changes for our streets Toby from your perspective from the from the logistics and industrial side of things uh, how big a change do you see from from this sort of thing? Well, we're hugely interested in you know, the impact of uh, transport technology on the location of industrial logistics facilities and their scale. Um, you know, during um, the last twelve months, we've seen a huge spike in online shopping, and actually that has increased traffic movements. And uh, a lot of industrial and logistics facilities. Um, need to accommodate a huge amount of vans. And I, I'm sure we would have all experienced increased uh, deliveries and increased van movements on our, on our local streets. So we're interested to see, um, you know, how technology can improve that and whether that's uh, the need for um, greater local consolidation centres to reduce that traffic or whether that is, is through another means of uh, transport tech. And forgive me if I get a little bit overexcited about a, you know, a, a great future. But what I really want you to say is, in fifteen years' time, all the last mile stuff is going to be done by 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 drones. I guess that, that may not be true, but there might be something coming down the road, right? I mean, clearly, there's been a huge amount of press on it, uh, and a number of the large scale um, internet retailers are investing heavily in in research, researching that technology. Um, it, it has it has a has a way to uh, way to go, but there, there needs to be a solution to um, you know the the traffic congestion and the uh, the van delivery piece going forward. We've seen some quite interesting developments in um, in Milton Keynes recently. They've been um, they've been noting quite a lot of support for their Starship delivery system, which are which are robots delivering. Um, food and other goods to local people in Milton Keynes. It's proved very popular during COVID, um, but there are others. Milton Keynes is, is well ahead of other cities in the UK, it seems. But back in 2017, San Francisco had so many of them that they were actually starting to say, we need to get robots off our sidewalks. So um, it, it's quite an interesting problem around the corner that we might have in, in how these last mile deliveries work, that, that perhaps drones could resolve, um, but I'm sure there's a, multi a multitude of different solutions for that last mile delivery. Yeah, 
I can see a, a future where we do get rid of you know car uh, space for cars on on our on our forecourts at, at home, but it's re- replaced by a landing zone for the drone. Well, yeah, interesting that our streets have changed over the last sort of fifty years. The pavements have got narrower, and the carriageways have got wider to accommodate more cars. And, and clearly, we were giving those more importance than uh, the users of the uh, of the pavements. But perhaps that will change now, and we need to give over space for um, for other other uses. This isn't happening in isolation, of course. That there's, you know, there are plenty of the design and planning changes going on. Like, for instance, the, the consultation on the updated national planning and policy framework, the national modelling des- model design code. One of the things that's coming out of that stuff is about having to look very long term. You know, we, we you know, twenty years, yeah, sure, but we need to look further, thirty years ahead. How do you, you know, with all this sort of technology, which you know, we're sort of imagining to a certain extent and all these design things and the need for, you know, to be ecologically wise, etc. How, how do you plan so far ahead? Well, that is one of the key questions and difficulties that I think um, planners and those collecting evidence for new local plans and emerging, emerging policies are trying to grapple with. I, I think part of the answer could be about having flexible planning approaches So um, the needs of today are taken into account, but additionally, there is flexibility incorporated to adapt to what is required tomorrow. I think the other difficulty is that we don't know exactly what form the driverless vehicle model might take. For example, will they be privately owned or will they be publicly owned? And because we don't know what model they might take or when these driverless vehicles may actually come in, I think there's a little bit of struggling to incorporate these into existing policies. But as I say, I think it's about having the flexibility to adapt. And I think we need to start having these conversations about what they do mean in order that transport modelling can start taking account of some of these changes. And does everybody think uh, that 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 flexibility that Julia's talking about is there in all parts of the of the system? I mean, I can imagine, you know, uh, developers thinking like that, but are, are planning authorities, local councils, are, are they that flexible and that, that forward-looking, do you think? I think there is flexibility in the system. Um, what, one of my concerns is that the, um, the new guidance that's encouraging us to, to put more beauty back in planning, which I absolutely agree with, has the ability to be read as guidance that requires us to deliver a lot of detail up front. And as Julia says, things can change quite rapidly in the detail of what you do might need to change. So I, I'm an advocate of, of um, setting design frameworks that are broad brush. So when we code places, um, we code the streets and where the buildings go and allow flexibility with exactly how those are delivered. Perhaps we look at some of the initial stages in a lot more detail, so we make sure what we're going to deliver is going to be beautiful. Um, but the rest is left very flexible because we know our, our system of streets, which obviously was originally designed for walking horses and then horse and carriage, has served us pretty well, even though it wasn't designed for current levels of parking. Um, so, so that kind of street framework that we've always had does seem to work very well, um, but, but other detail can, can flex and change as it needs to um, over the decades. 
I think it's also about land use flexibility. So if we're likely to have different parking standards to what those might be in the future, those parking areas might be designed to be parking areas now, but in the future, transformed into something else as parking standards might change. So it's kind of flexibility, both in the design of the homes and also in in the land uses and also in the infrastructure that goes to these places as well. Yeah. Toby, is that um, changing massively in your area and, and can you see it changing in other areas as well? Yeah, I mean, hugely. I mean, the, the demand for parcel delivery is, is meaning that the occupiers and parcel carriers need to locate closer and closer to their end customers. And that's really people's front doors. So I can see the, the need for better allocations within the urban uh, landscape to, to allow for those facilities and, and delivery levels. And the change that's been happening in high streets might be an opportunity to do that with flexible spaces and um, changing the use of former retail spaces to perhaps community or in the future when we can go out to a pub or cafe again, um, local pubs and cafes where you can actually pick up your um, your deliveries and meet people. So the changes in lifestyles might go together with our changes in shopping habits uh, yeah. and the way we the way we deliver those goods. Now, before we go, we can't go without asking each of you for a Savile standout statistic. Uh, do this every time, pretty much. So, where should we start? Let's start. Um, well, let's start with Julia. Julia, have you got a Savile standout stat for us today? So, we noted earlier that residential developments planned around driverless vehicles potentially provide opportunities for moving away from rigid highway standards, providing more space for gardens and landscaping. So last year highlighted the changing priorities of buyers and the Savills June survey of buyers showed that 62% of Savills buyers now considered outdoor space more important. That's almost two out of three people, which demonstrates the priority now being given to both public and private outdoor space. This also highlights the need to understand and adapt to buyers evolving needs to help ensure resilience is incorporated into the development industry moving forward yeah yeah that's a very good point um sticking with the sort of well i imagine sticking with the slightly more residential side of things andrew what's your savile standout stat (laughs) well i'm I'm gonna go i'm gonna go global and bring it and bring it local so um the, the standout stat over the last year for me has been the massive reduction, 50% reduction in transport activity across global cities. Um, that potentially has huge benefits for us, 50% again reduction in pollutants. That hopefully will continue with the tech that's now being used in transport uh, and our move away from owning um, lots of cars and enable us to deliver better and healthier streets. Fantastic. That just leaves us with Toby. Toby, have you, you you've been thinking long and hard, have you, about your Savile standout statistic? Yeah, thanks for the surprise, Guy. Well, you know, the impact on our industry is all from online retail, which is up 50% year on year. Um, and the stat is that that's made an, an 80% increase in, in take-up um, over and above the long-term average last year. And it'd be no surprise to, to anyone that, that Amazon account for 25% of that, uh, of that take up of industrial and logistics warehouse space. Yeah. So um, they're a dominant force. 
um, and they're driving um, the evolution of, of design um, and delivery uh, within the sector. It's funny how you can have something which is no surprise, but at the same time, mind-blowing. Listen, thank you very much, all of you, uh, for being part of this episode of Real Estate Insights. None of you have been on before, and I'm very grateful to you all for doing so. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. If all that has got you thinking you want to explore more, you'll find plenty to keep you occupied on the research section of the Savills website. Savills.co.uk slash research is the place to go for that. That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. Thank you very much for listening. And as ever, see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.